The first part of the reading is taken from Exodus, chapter 7, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall be turned to blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood, and there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood, and the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink the water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them. So that, as the Lord had said, Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. The second part of the reading is from Exodus 8, verses 16 to 19. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. And the third part of the reading is from Exodus 9, verses 13 to 35. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself, 
and on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people, and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease. And there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in bud. But the weeds and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh And stretched out his hands to the Lord. And the thunder and the hail ceased. And the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased. He sinned yet again and hardened his heart. He and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. And he did not let the people of Israel go. Just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Joe Biden is uh, now president of the USA, 
Um, but many Trump supporters, and if you heard the news this morning, even Trump himself still think that the election was stolen, trying to persuade people that that's the case. And of course, uh, his lawyers aren't going to the lawyers who are who's trying to get to help him uh, have said, well, they're not going to because the evidence is absolutely showing that the election wasn't stolen, that Biden won um, fairly, but people still don't accept that. And here in England, you might have um, noticed that, uh, or you've probably seen in the news, you know, awful, awful things where outside of hospitals, there have been, as staff are going in to work at the uh, COVID wards, um, there are people outside demonstrating and saying that, you know, the whole pandemic thing is all fake news. And of course, the evidence is that it plainly isn't. And in all sorts of, all sorts of areas, people ignore the evidence. And we're going to think a little bit today about how uh, that's also true for matters of Christian faith, for matters of faith, how people ignore the evidence. So before we uh, dive into the Bible, let's just pray, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we uh, look at this, uh, this uh, story of all these plagues that happened all those years ago, we pray that you'd help us to uh, learn truths about you and uh, learn how to live better for you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in this uh, next section of Exodus uh, today, looking at these nine plagues. Um, Thank you, Karen, for reading uh, those. But uh, Karen only read three of the plagues, um, and even that was quite long, wasn't it? And it's a bit, bit too long to have read, read the whole section because we're looking from Exodus 7, verse 8, right through to Exodus 10, 29. So we heard about three plagues. Well, there were nine, nine that we're looking at uh, today. But I guess most of us, or many of you looking online as well, will have heard about these plagues, will know about them. And I wonder, what you, I wonder what you make of them. You know, I mean, what, what's the point of having all these plagues here in the Bible? You know, what's the point of it? I mean, they make quite nice, quite nice, scary, slightly scary stories for the children, don't they? But is there really much for us to learn from these plagues? You might well think, if you, know, if you know the story well, you might well think, well, the next plague, the tenth plague that we're going to look at next week, that's, that's the one where we find the stuff that's really relevant to us. That's, that's the one that's really interesting to us, particularly as Christians. But what's the point of all these, of all these nine plagues? Why are there so many? Let's just... Let's just revise what we've looked at so far in Exodus. The people of Israel, they've multiplied greatly um, from Jacob's original family of 70 who came to Egypt 400 years before. But now they've grown into this huge nation almost and they're enslaved and suffering. God has uh, told Moses now that he's going to lead these people out um, to freedom. But of course, Pharaoh doesn't want to let them go. They're doing a nice lot of work for him, his free slave labor, and so he doesn't want to let them go. And in fact, God also has always planned to have um, the tenth plague, the Passover. I mean, after all, the Passover was, which is linked to the tenth plague, as we're going to see 
Next week, of course, that also points forward to Jesus' death. So it means that God had always planned to have that. And in fact, we see that when we look back in chapter 4, chapter 4, verses 21 to 23, uh, says this, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power. But I'll harden his heart so that, you will not, so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I'll kill your firstborn son. So quite a time before the bit we're looking at now, God has already said that he's going to kill the firstborn sons if Pharaoh doesn't let them go. So in a sense, God had planned for the Passover, for the tenth plague and the Passover that's linked to that. So if that was the case, why all these nine plagues before that? Well, let's look back a little bit further. Back in chapter 3, we saw God revealing himself, revealing his name, telling Moses that his name was the Lord, I am, Yahweh. So first of all, revealing himself to Moses, and then revealing himself in chapter 4 through Moses to the people of Israel. But then when we came to chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5, we read that when Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh... They said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Moses say, uh, Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord? Well, I don't know the Lord. Of course, it's not just that Pharaoh's ignorant. He has closed his mind. He's, he's in charge, and he's certainly not about to let the people of Israel uh, go. He's certainly not interested in this God that Moses is talking about. In chapter 6, um, we read more about how God revealed more of his character and his plans. And then in chapter 7... Verses 3 to 5, we read this after Moses and Aaron. Uh, sorry, in verse, in verse 3 of chapter 7, God says, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I'll lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. So Pharaoh had said, I don't know who the Lord is. I don't know. Don't know who he is. Who is he? God says, these plagues are going to come so that the people will know that I am the Lord. That, that seems to be the primary purpose as you read these verses, of why the plagues came, so that people would know. So we're going to think about the fact that God does provide more than enough evidence of who he is. Plagues are terrible, aren't they? I mean, can you imagine going to your, um, going to your jug of water and pouring it out and blood coming out? 
awful. And of course, there was just blood everywhere, so that the Egyptians then had to sort of dig next to the Nile to find, find water that, wasn't, that hadn't been turned into blood. Or the second plague, you know, frogs. Frogs everywhere, not just a few frogs, but your house, your bedroom, your bed, kitchen, everywhere, just full of frogs. Ghastly. If you've ever been to the west coast of uh, Scotland in summer, that you'll know about midges. Um, as a family, we had several holidays. We had several holidays there, but fortunately, my sister-in-law had made, um, had made, had ensured that we were well protected with special hats, um, with netting that covered your head. So we had we had different sizes, sizes for all our boys that they were when they were younger, different uh, sizes. But unless you put those hats on properly and tuck them in properly and have your gloves on and everything be completely covered, if you've been there, you know you get bitten. And I guess the gnats were like that as well. They were just everywhere. People got bitten. Horrible. And then the fourth plague was flies. Flies, flies everywhere. They're annoying, even if you just have one or two in your kitchen. One, one summer, I think we must have had some eggs laid in the, in the flue of our, of our boiler. Because um, one day, just flies kept appearing. You know, half a dozen flies, and I'd swap them or open the window, get rid of them. And yet they just kept coming more and more and more, constantly trying to kill the flies or, or get rid of them. It must have been 50 or 60 over the course of half an hour. That was pretty horrible. But of course, that's nothing compared to what's described here in the fourth plague, where there were just flies everywhere, covering absolutely everything. And then the fifth plague is about, was of livestock dying. <clears throat> Some of you may... Um, think back a couple of decades to when there was the foot and mouth epidemic and thinking how terrible that was when livestock were in our country were, were endangered and died. And then the sixth plague was of boils. And now the, now the sort of problem becomes much more personal. You know, really horrible, every individual people having boils themselves. And then mega hailstones in the seventh plague. Mega hailstones can sort of coming together with fire and thunder. And then, of course, the, the, uh, the eighth plague, the plague of locusts, is one that still often affects different parts of the world, often parts of different parts of Africa have been, in recent times, affected by massive plagues of locusts. And they just destroy and eat everything. And then the final plague was one of darkness, where there was darkness just over everywhere. For three days, people couldn't see, couldn't do anything. Really scary. But of course, those plagues, they're not just random. There is recurring evidence as you read through these uh, description of the plagues that God is in charge. So for example, the timings, the timings are quite specific. So for example, when God says um, that the flies, God says through, the Lord says through Moses, the flies are going to come tomorrow. You know, Moses says tomorrow the flies are going to come, and tomorrow they come. Or back in the second, in the second plague, um, the frogs are there, and they're awful everywhere, all over the place. And Moses and Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron says, please will you call to God and get rid of these frogs? And so Moses says, okay, okay. We'll do that. You, you tell me when you want the frogs to go. Pharaoh says, tomorrow. Says, okay, tomorrow. So 
Moses prays, and tomorrow the frogs go. So each time there's, there's evidence that the timings are, are not random at all. And then from the fourth plague onwards, we see that the Israelites are spared the effect of the plague. So, for example, in the fourth plague, there are flies everywhere all over Egypt, but there were none in the part where the Israelites are. In the fifth plague, when the livestock die, Pharaoh even sends, sends investigators to check that the Israelites' livestock and he, to check that they're okay, and, and indeed they find that the Israelites' animals are unaffected. God had said that. Again, in, through Moses, God says to Pharaoh, that's going to happen, there's going to be a division. And again, what God, through Moses and Aaron, had said proved to be true. <clears throat> and repeatedly, Pharaoh is told to what all this evidence points. So in chapter 7, verse 17, we read, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. And then in chapter 8, in, in the, um, 8 verse 10, during the plague of frogs, God says, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. And then in, during the plague, before the plague of flies, 8 verse 22, but on that day... I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there so that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. And then in chapter 9, verses 14 and 15, uh, 14 to 16, in connection with the plague of hail, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So the plagues, they're all evidence. They're all evidence pointing to who the Lord is, that he's a God unlike any other God, pointing to the fact that God can be known pointing to the fact that God was present, acting there in Egypt, and, and also that he is a God of power to be known all over the world. So Pharaoh and his servants, they had every opportunity to respond, every opportunity to respond to God's revelation of his actions, of himself through his actions. But do they? Before we look at their response, let's just very quickly leap forward to the New Testament and look, for example, at the gospel recorded by Mark. Although at the outset of, of his book, Mark lets his readers into the identity of Jesus Christ. He says, Jesus Christ, this is a book about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Of course, as you read Mark's gospel, the disciples and others, they only slowly are made aware of the evidence. But as they see the signs, as they start to see who Jesus, what he says and what he does, gradually they begin to understand. And halfway through the Gospel of Mark, Peter's worked out who Jesus is, even if perhaps at that stage his understanding is still a little bit hazy. But, so he and others reach the conclusion because they've seen the evidence. So let's go back to Pharaoh again. And his people. So, how do they respond? How do they respond to the evidence? 
I'll quickly look at the magicians, because they're quite interesting. To begin with, they can copy Aaron's miracle. So even before the first plague, Aaron throws his stick onto the, onto the ground, it turns into a snake, and the magicians say, well, we can do that as well. They throw their snakes on the ground, they become snakes as well, although Aaron's serpent swallows up theirs. But then, then come the plagues, and the first two plagues, they can reproduce, they they can actually turn more water, even as they dig some of the presumably water from the side of the Nile that hadn't been turned into blood. As, as people get that water up, the magicians say, oh yeah, we can turn that into blood as well. And uh, they produce, in the next plague, they also produce more frogs. And you can imagine Pharaoh saying, what are you lot doing? We don't need more frogs and more blood. Can't you just turn it the other way around? They can't actually do that. They can do the same. They can produce blood or more frogs, but they can't reserve, reverse the plagues. And then we read by the third plague that they can no longer copy. They, they tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they couldn't. And at this point, they begin to sense that there's something or someone that they know nothing about is at work. And they say to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But their thinking doesn't seem to have gone any further than that because they appear again in the sixth plague of boils where they're unable to confront Moses because of the boils that they too are suffering. If we think about them, they may have briefly recognized God's finger, God being at work, but they don't do anything about it. And some of Pharaoh's servants, they do begin to take some action as they realize that God will do what he says. So if you, when we heard earlier, read the, the plague of hail, you will have heard that there they said that there were some who took note of the warning um, that God gives them, and, and God gives warning, and some of them bring their slaves and their livestock inside under cover. But others, of course, even though God has mercifully given the warning, they ignore it. But in chapter 10, after Moses and Aaron have warned about the locusts, Pharaoh's servants, urge him to let the people go. But it doesn't seem that they're really that interested in finding out about more about God. Their reason just is that because they see that Egypt is ruined. But of course, the main character in this whole section is Pharaoh. And I don't know if you noticed, but there's one phrase that keeps recurring. It's a description about Pharaoh's heart about his moral and the spiritual choices. And it comes, this, one of these phrases comes after each plague, at the end of each section of each of the nine plagues. We read repeatedly that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He didn't take this to heart. He hardened his heart. And we even read some of the phrases. It says, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. So what's going on? What's going on there? Pharaoh hardens his heart. He chooses to keep oppressing the Israelite people. He, he's been ordering and he carries on, presumably ordering the death of their male babies, and he refuses to listen to God's warnings. And the warnings do, in the plagues, they get progressively worse. I mean, blood, water turning into blood is not very nice, but gradually it gets worse and Worse, so that by the time we get to the tenth plague, there's death. <clears throat> but how is it that the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart? 
Does that sound, does that sound fair to you? Perhaps, perhaps it's not Pharaoh's fault after all. Well, this whole topic of freedom, of our freedom of choice, and what might seem like the opposite of God being in complete control, that's, that's too big an area to go into now. I guess you can go and read about it and talk about it later if you want to, think it through, and it's good to do that. But for now, we should recognize that frequently in the Bible, we read how people's rejection of God is accompanied by increasing blindness and hardness of heart. In in the Gospel of John, John writes that though Jesus had done many signs seen by the people, they still didn't believe in him. Jesus had done all sorts of signs, but John says people just didn't believe in him. And, And in his Gospel, in John's Gospel, John says that this confirms what the Old Testament prophet Isaiah said when he said, quoting, when Isaiah Isaiah quotes, talking about God, saying, God has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. When you read John's Gospel, if you just read that, you might think, that just seems very unfair. Why should God stop people seeing and hearing? But actually, throughout John's Gospel, rejection of Jesus and unwillingness to come to him is a theme that goes through John's Gospel. And John is saying that rejection of Jesus is accompanied by an inability to hear or to see. In Mark's Gospel, Jesus uses those same verses from Isaiah to explain why he speaks in parables. So in the parable of the, of the sower, um, he, he speaks and he does that. And then, and then afterwards, he's, he sort of says, the reason why I tell nice stories about farming stories, um, agricultural stories, is so that people won't understand. So I think, what, what's that all about? Why? Why don't you want people to understand? And he explains it, of course, to the disciples. He speaks in parables, only giving an explanation to those who really want to hear. So, and to people who reject him, who are saying, we don't want you to be our king, Jesus says, in effect, in that, in that section of Mark, in that case, I won't let you understand my teaching. In their, in their book on, the, on Mark, Andrew Satch and Tim Hyans, where some, they, they write uh, this sentence, which I think is really helpful. God hides his good news in obscurity only in response to stubborn rejection. So God does do something. God does hide. He makes people deaf or blind or hardens their heart. He does that, but that is in response to their stubborn rejection. And Pharaoh is someone like that. He stubbornly, stubbornly refuses to acknowledge who God is. And God's response, his response is to allow Pharaoh to take the path he's chosen, hardening his heart so that he doesn't respond to the evidence. Of course, the Israelites, through all this, have been suffering still 
and the signs and the wonders of uh, the plagues and then the rescue from Egypt were things that they would be able to tell their children and grandchildren about uh, so that they too would know that God is the Lord. Um, verse 10, chapter 10, verse 2 says, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I've dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I've done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites too could see that and not just, not just having witnessed what was happening with the plagues but witnessing what we're going to learn about over the coming weeks of their rescue from Egypt and crossing the Red Sea and all those things. And yet, as you probably know, the really sad thing is that eventually they end up, even the people, that generation, they also end up having hard hearts and rejecting God. Well, what can we learn? What can we learn from these chapters? I'm just going to mention three areas. First of all, a warning. It seems crazy, doesn't it? It seems crazy that the Israelites of that generation should also end up with hardened hearts after all that they'd seen and experienced. Later in the Psalms, for example, Psalm 95, the message is clearly spelt out, don't be like them. And it's a message that's repeated in the New Testament, um, particularly in the book of Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews. And it's a warning to us as well, don't be like them. Don't stubbornly refuse to listen to God. Because it's possible to see all the evidence of God's goodness and his greatness, but refuse to respond appropriately. And sadly, for people who do decide to be stubborn and refuse, there comes a point at which God even says, okay, if you are stubborn, then so be it. For us, we all have the evidence um, of who the Lord Jesus is, but that does require a response. And of course, for other people to respond, they need to know about the evidence. So as a church and as individual Christians, we have a role to play, both in our evangelism as a church, as we tell people um, about the gospel, and also um, as, as individuals as we do that, but also in the lives that we live as we as we live lives that, using the words that Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So there's a warning, a warning to us and a warning for us to share with others. But then secondly, what about, what about plagues today? <clears throat> Looking at um, these accounts of plagues, we may have wondered if this is relevant to our situation today. I mean, the pandemic that's affecting people all over the world. Is, is the pandemic like one of those plagues? Well, we need to be very careful not to attribute it to God's judgment, as John Lennox uh, says in the short video interview that's still on the church, on our church website. Have a look at it if you haven't looked at it before. All the various judgments recorded in the Bible, <clears throat> including these plagues, in each of them, God specifically states that that is his judgment. It says, God says, um, I'm judging. We can say that. <clears throat> but we don't have God's word telling us that individual events today are specific judgments from him. God very clearly told Pharaoh and the people that the Exodus plague 
plagues were his judgment and that they were to lead people to know who the Lord is. But we can't and, and we certainly shouldn't, must not claim that COVID is a specific judgment. But, like all sorts of natural disasters, it does lead us to ask questions. We realise, don't we? We realise, if we haven't already long ago, realised just how powerless we are in the face of even such a tiny thing as a thing as a tiny virus. If our hearts are hardened, then we'll think, well, we can still be in control. We're still, we can be in control and we continue to ignore God. But as C.S. Lewis observed, it's often when times are difficult that we hear God speaking to us if we will but listen. You probably know this quote from Lewis. He says, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pharaoh and his uh, servants, they stubbornly refuse to listen. We need to ensure that we don't do the same. And it'd be good to pray that across the world, many people will reflect on their situation and begin to search for the one true Lord. And then finally, one other further little thing to think about. Does the future look bleak? At this point in the story... Uh, the people of Israel's circumstances are still really very bad, aren't they? They're still suffering <clears throat> as slaves. There's been no let-up there. It's true that they've been spared uh, much of the suffering that the plagues have brought on the Egyptian people, but their daily grind has just c- carried on. We, when we started looking at Exodus two weeks ago, um, one of the questions was, why, why? And that question, that's still there at the moment in in this stage in the story. Many of us may also feel that things are still rather bleak. Circumstances may seem rather hopeless. The future may seem rather hopeless. Perhaps loneliness or isolation is just too much. Does God care? Is God really in control? And of course, if we think beyond our own personal concerns and our anxieties and think about fellow Christians suffering for their faith in many, so many parts of the world, how does the future look for them? It's really easy easy to feel hopeless, but there are signs of hope. For the Israelites, they they had seen the evidence of the Lord's power and authority. He'd given them his promise that he'd rescue them They've experienced his presence with them as he's protected them from the worst of the plagues. And for us and for Christian believers all over the world, God by his spirit is with us, even in the most difficult of circumstances. And like the people of Israel, we sometimes just have to keep crying out in our desperation and our confusion to the Lord. Well, right at the end of this section, right at the end there in chapter, at the end of chapter 10, at the end of this section that we've looked at, you know, it does all look a bit hopeless because God has brought these nine plagues on Pharaoh and the Egyptians, but the people of Israel, they're still in slavery. And now, right there at the end of chapter 10, Pharaoh tells Moses never to set foot in his presence again. Chapter 
10, verse 28, Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face you shall die. Moses said, As you say, I'll not see your face again. There'll be no more opportunity to challenge Pharaoh. What's going to happen now? Can anything more be done? Well, if we have a sneak a sneak look at the start of next week's section, we'll see that Moses storms out of Pharaoh's presence in hot anger. But just before he does that, he tells Pharaoh that God is going to rescue his people through the final plague. God has promised to rescue his people through that plague. He's promised to rescue them, and that's what he's going to do. And it's a story, as we'll see, that will have monumental implications for each of us. But you'll have to come back next week or tune in next week to find out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you have revealed yourself and that the evidence is there. Please help us to respond. Help us to share that evidence with those we know. And we pray too as we reflect on the circumstances that we face uh, today with uh, plagues, albeit different, that we may too um, and people, many people around us turn to you and ask for your help and mercy. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.